0: Welcome to Out of Ratio, the podcast where we break free from the constraints of traditional thinking and embrace the extraordinary world of early childhood education. I'm your host and together let's embark on a journey that challenges the status quo, pushes boundaries and nurtures the seeds of innovation. So get ready for captivating interviews, thought-provoking discussions and inspiring stories that will challenge your perceptions and ignite your passion for early childhood education. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of season two of Out of Ratio, the show where we delve into the intricacies of early childhood education. I'm Sam.
1: And I'm Justin. And today we have a distinguished guest with us. She is a mentor, coach, keynote speaker, has been a program director and assessor, and is the CEO of Together We Grow. It's Prerna Richards. Prerna, thank you for being here and sharing your expertise with us today.
2: Thank you so much for the invite. I'm excited about
0: this conversation. So before we get started into what I know is going to be an incredible conversation today, I want to let everyone who's listening know that you can get professional development hours and continuing education units for this podcast episode. In the notes of the show, there will be a link to create an account with Bertelson Education, take a five-question assessment to ensure you meet the learning outcomes, and then you can get your certificate with CEUs for free, And I know by now you know the drill because you've been doing this since season one. This episode is offering free CEUs by listening to a podcast and taking an assessment. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the following learning outcomes. First, we're going to talk about creating a comprehensive understanding of how experiences during the first five years of life significantly impact a child's cognitive, social, and emotional development. We're going to identify the direct connections between early childhood experiences and the educational outcomes, and we're going to understand the importance of creating supportive environments both at home and in educational settings to ensure a holistic approach to a child's growth and learning. Our focus today is on the first five years of life and how these years shape a child's cognitive, social, and emotional development. So let's dive
1: in. So before we we get into the main topic, let's have prayer net introduce herself and talk a little bit about what sparked her passion for early childhood development
2: well that is an interesting question because uh when i was in india and going to college i was uh, enrolled in interior design my husband is an architect and we were supposed to work together and thank goodness that didn't happen back then in life but now we're working <laughs> together we've matured and we've grown so it is good <laughs> um I I really I think I fell into it. I, I, I don't know if it was a plan, but it was the divine plan. I'm a God girl and I believe in just the universe aligning things in the world. So we were in Scotland and our older daughter had just started the nursery school close to our house. But they were kind enough for us to for me to bring our younger daughter and hang out there. And that's really where the journey started because they were like, Prina, you're here all the time. Do you want to just take some nursery courses? I'm like, okay, what's that? So I did that, loved it. And I think it found me versus me finding it. So, and then fast forward, went to Hawaii. And really, the plan was to enroll our younger daughter, who was four at the time, to the school next to us. She had an opening and she says, But do you want to work as a toddler teacher? But you'd have to get your CDA. I'm like, what is that? So got the CDA in Hawaii. And then fast forward, before you know it, 38 years have happened in the career. So (laughs) it it kind of was just like the universe made it happen for me, you know.
1: I love how things fall into place like that. Definitely. Uh um, Yeah, I definitely think there's some orchestration galactically, you know, to make sure that those (laughs) things um, happen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and you look back, and it's like, oh, of course that was what was supposed.
2: Yeah.
1: to Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I see. You it. know,
2: it, it's so funny because people don't value early childhood educators, and I hate to say this, and my husband cringes every time I say this because he actually said this to me when we were in Hawaii, and uh, we had got our daughter enrolled in the preschool, and I started working there. And he said, when she went to kindergarten, now you'll get a real job. And I'm like, this is a real job. <laughs> It oh, doesn't I've get heard any that more so real many times. But, you know, he denies it. He's like, I never said that. And, you know, <laughs> now we have our own company and he's working. We're working together. So we've come a long way. But he said those words and it actually, it was like, I have a real job. And I am very proud of the work I do. I'm a brain architect. You're a regular building architect, but I'm a brain architect.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's one thing that um, you and Bertelson Education and many others in the field are trying to do is trying to really professionalize the field or change the perspective of our dear teachers, because their job, they're professionals, you know, they should be viewed as, as with just as much respect as K through 12 teachers. And- I think
2: I personally, I have the highest res- respect for early childhood educators, highest, because they truly are laying the brain foundation for the rest of their life. And I know we're going to dive into that. But this really is the most meaningful work. You're influencing the next generation. You're setting them up for success or not. It could go either way. And, and nobody remembers the early childhood educated teachers, right? When they thank somebody, they get to college, they that professor did this and that professor. But the foundation was laid in the early years. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it is the most meaningful work. It is... Uh, It's a calling, you know, this isn't even a job for me. This isn't even a title for me. It's a calling for me that I'm on earth to make the world a better place for children. And I believe that so deeply uh, in whatever capacity that means.
1: Yeah. Well, Prina, tell us a little bit more about your day-to-day or the the work that you do um, as a speaker, as a early childhood expert. What is, what does your day-to-day look like and how do you support early childhood development?
2: So five years ago, um, I started my company called Together We Grow. And Together We Grow provides three services, professional development, which is brain-based, brain science-based, and grounded in SEL, social-emotional learning. Trauma-informed, challenging behaviors, that's my jam. That's the space I want to contribute. Those children that we struggle to understand. I want to really help the grown-ups understand those little humans that are just getting either under our skin, we can't connect with them, we don't understand them, and so I provide behavior coaching. Um, I do behavior coaching in person and online, and I have a membership for that. Um, But the coaching is really designed for educators to understand and connect and change. Um, and, And the goal is clear, from stress to joy. That's what I want to transform. I want to transform as many programs as I can from stress to joy. And the last thing I do is I'm an NAYC consultant. So programs going for accreditation. I help, you know, with their portfolios and classroom observation. So to your question, Justin, what do I do day to day? The good news is that it's very varied. My day looks very different <laughs> every day, which I love. Um I get the opportunity to meet lots of people in person, but also online. So I do sessions online, but in person, keynotes, breakouts, coaching. And those three things is what I'm doing. Professional development, coaching, and NACI consulting. And that's what keeps me busy. Um, And that's the space that I want to make a difference. That, you know, coming from understanding what's happening in the brain, and then making sense of the behavior that's happening outside, and then making the connection between the brain, behavior, and learning. And so that's what my regular day-to-day looks like, uh, speaking on those topics, uh, going deeper with those topics. But I don't know, maybe you feel this way too. The more I learn about the brain, the more fascinated I become, and the more I feel like, gosh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Mm. So,
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think the the plasticity of the brain, which means like the ability for the brain to change is incredible for like in the first five years of life. And I think the more that I learn about brain development and somebody who has a background in international studies and working and has worked previously with underserved populations and learning about brain development kind of later in my, or not later in my career journey, I'm still kind of early, but the after that initial process of the international development work that I've done, the brain development piece is so, so interesting when you take a, a macro level like, oh, what is trauma doing? Um, to children in in Ukraine right now. What is trauma doing to um, individuals in here in Texas? So you see this very widely. What you know the the border crisis right now. What is trauma doing to those children and those families? Um, and being able to understand the, that the the trauma that these children have are is manifest in the behaviors and in kind of the situations and circumstances that they're in in early childhood education mm-hmm. settings. It's um, crazy.
2: I mean trauma is one big bucket, but you know, just even children in affluent families, middle class mm-hmm. families, <clears throat> it doesn't it doesn't uh, have barriers, right? If if your needs are not met and if you're not understood, you act out and you become that child in the classroom. Mm-hmm. It just is just a trauma is definitely on its own big bucket. I mean, in the news with Ukraine, um, uh, you know, not even Ukraine, it was with the uh, Hamas and the Israelis, they were talking about recently with the little four year old who saw her parents being killed. My heart is going out to that little girl, like who is going to adopt her? Who is going to take care of her? Because she's going to need a lot of love and a lot of understanding to deal with something so horrific. That at four, she doesn't understand, but is going to follow her for the rest of her life.
0: Yeah,
2: I think she's American. I think her, they were trying to release her. She's one of the hostages, but it's just, it's just so sad that we do this to children but even regular you know the behaviors i don't know if you've heard this but i hear this constantly the behaviors in the classrooms are getting worse much worse than they were before covid and that's not an imagination it's for real because the grown ups capacity has reduced they're under stress parents educators and then the children are feeling it mm mm-hmm. And there's more and more acting out behavior, more and more intense in the classrooms right here in our own country.
1: Yeah, I yeah. definitely, I definitely view COVID and I tell us to our team all the time to be very grateful that we've kind of come out of that societal trauma.
0: My daughter was born right, and and yours too, Tiffany, would have been born right before COVID. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's really interesting to see, you know, my son who is three and a half years older than her and. How they handle things differently, or how attuned to what's going on they are. My son is like super. We we joke and call him the empath. Like he 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 just uh, he knows what everyone is feeling all the time, and you can tell because he also feels it. Um. So if everyone is stressed, that poor little kid can barely function. Like he he you know we need we need to keep it chill for him. Um. And then my daughter is like she doesn't care like her mood is her mood and no one else can affect it and so it's really interesting to see how like the coping mechanism there
2: so sam you mentioned something about your son being in tune and i think those are the children so our older granddaughter is like that highly sensitive and very emotionally intelligent Mm -hmm. Um, but i also call them the canary children um the canary children do you remember the canary story do you guys know about the canary story no. Okay. So, so you know when the miners used to go down into the caves to mine. Yes. Okay. Now it's coming back. So when the miners used to go back down there, they would take a canary in the cage, mm-hmm. and if the canary felt there was something happening in the environment, she would sing, and that would be a signal to the miners that something is about to happen, and then they mm-hmm. should listen to the canary and exit or you know take care. And so we have canary children. Um, in our homes, in our families, in our schools, and 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 these children are are highly emotionally intelligent. They not only are very aware of their emotions, they're very aware of everybody else's emotions, and they kind of like are are calling it out, like you know, this is not okay. And these are the children sometimes get misunderstood that you're always just, you know, very sensitive and you cry and you complain and you overreact and da, 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 da. but I think they're more in tune because they're picking up the vibes. Mm.
0: That's a really cool way to look at that. I had never, I've never thought of it that way, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if, even if we, like my husband and I haven't said anything to him, there's no reason to to think that there's like stressful things going on. Yeah. He
2: just... Gets yeah. it.
0: And yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it definitely affects how he operates in the world when yeah. he is feeling that.
2: Our 10 year old is it. like that. She even even if you just call her just just the way you said hello will be. Yeah. A, I, is everything OK? I mean, I'm like, oh, my goodness, everything is fine, sweet girl. Yeah. Right. You know, like she gets hypersensitive. So mm-hmm. and then there so those are extremely empathetic children. But then we have the opposite, which is the apathetic children and they are not functioning from a place of awareness Um, and and you have to educate and parent them both very differently. Uh, Neither one is good or bad, but they're showing up in the world with either apathy. Apathy is, I don't care, whatever. Empathy is, oh my God, I care. I feel your pain, right? So having the two extremes and balancing it. And this is where I feel like it's so critical that we give children the vocabulary for the different emotions and feelings is so critical because they are feeling it, but they don't have a label for it. If -hmm. they can get a name for it or label for it, it makes it manageable, right? Oh yeah, Yeah.
0: I used to get emails from my son's teacher because, so uh, I started working in early education right after he was born, but my mom also worked in early education. She was a director almost my entire life. Um, And so I think being a child of someone who was teaching a lot of those concepts I just kind of soaked up like, okay, well, we need to learn to to name our feelings. And so when he was really young, we started talking about, you know, well, are you mad or are you frustrated? And so I would get emails and phone calls from his teachers like, um, your son is using vocabulary that no one else in the, in the, in our center knows. And I was like, yeah, but is it making your interactions easier? Is it helping mm-hmm. him socially and emotionally to occupy a space that he feels comfortable in and that he can have relationships with other people. And, and so, yeah, no, vocabulary for feelings is like the hill that I will die on. I, I'm like, it is so important because they don't know. And if you yeah. only teach them happy, mad, sad, you're they're not going to get anywhere with that after a certain yeah. point.
2: Yeah, yeah, there's so much more. And so I'm happy we're like-minded people on this podcast right now, because yeah, that's it. You know, introducing mm-hmm. them to a wide range, even nervousness, right? So are you anxious or are you nervous? Nervous is I'm just hesitant. Anxious is that I'm actually fearful of something, right? I'm actually, there's anxiety involved, right? Um, Am I just avoiding it or am I dreading it, right? Mm -hmm. It goes in so many levels and having this as a natural conversation. One of the tools that I've given the teachers I've worked with is even having like a, a meter of levels of anger because they just keep going um, mm-hmm. angry, sad, mad, upset. You know, I'm like, okay, range it. Is it, am I mildly irritated? Am I frustrated? Am I losing it? Am I livid? Am I furious? Am I angry? Like you can't see my hand, but it's going up. And this mm-hmm. is one of the tools I've given the teachers, especially for children who are acting out big time, having a visual can be very helpful for them. Okay, show me on the range of one to 10, where are you right now? And when you feel this, what can we do about it? Right, that's self-regulation. We were talking about the years of the first five years, why they matter. These are the foundation years, right? So if you give them the vocabulary, self-regulation, let's just unpack this one word because we use it quite frequently. It goes all over the place. But self-regulation, how would you describe self-regulation before I go into how I explain it to the teachers?
1: Yeah, I think self-regulation would be the ability for children to recognize and get if they're at a point that their behavior is out of control, to be able to using their own social emotional skills to get back under control. So if they were really high on that meter and like live it, they can kind of work back to just frustrated or even to calm. That's how I would describe it.
2: Sam, what about you? Putting you on the I,
0: spot now. I know, right? <laughs> I I think I would describe it similarly. I would just add that I think part of self-regulation is having the tools so that they know how to do those things. Um, so that if they are in, you know, a state of sensory overload, which is something that happens in my house a lot, um, that they can find that equilibrium again and they know how to do that and what works for them, whether, you know, that's having some alone time, that would be my son. He's like, I just need a minute. I'm going to go sit in the other room when no one's around. Or if it's to go run around in the backyard, that would be my daughter. She needs to go run a mile before she, <laughs> she can kind of get back to that equilibrium. Um. So yeah, I think that them having the tools is an important part of that.
2: Yeah. So that's, that's great. So this is how I would describe it to educators or parents. Self-regulation has three parts. One, what are you feeling? What caused it? And how can I help myself right now? Mm -hmm. So really starting with what am I feeling? Name it. What caused it? So you're very clear. Um, It's very important for grownups and for children. I go between grownups and children because a lot of what happens for children is dependent on the grownups brain. If the grownups brain is not in the calm brain, it just goes south for the little ones. So what caused it is really good to separate what I'm feeling for who I am. Children will translate that into, I'm a bad person. I can't listen. I can't. I'm a horrible person. No, you're not horrible. You're not stupid. You're just struggling at a task. So separating what I am and what I'm feeling. I'm feeling frustrated because this is a hard task. So separate what I am to who I am. So what caused it and how can I help myself right now? And that's kind of what you guys were referring. How do I bring myself down from livid? too frustrated? And do I need a calm moment? Or do I need to run around? What can I do to help myself? That's the third part of self-regulation. But it starts with what am I feeling? But before children can self-regulate, we have to have grown-ups who can co-regulate with them. So children are not born with the self-regulation skill. Children who have grown-ups who co-regulate with them teaches them in the moment, how do I do this? So, for example, I'll give you a teacher example. I was in a classroom the other day, a preschool classroom, and um, she was doing small groups. She had a couple of kids at the table with her. The rest of the kids are playing. And this is sweet little girl, Sophie. She started going, "Eh, eh, eh." she started kicking under the table and she started. "Eh, eh, eh." And the sweet Andrea teacher, she immediately co-regulated for her so beautifully. She says, Sophie, you look a little frustrated. Bingo. What is she feeling? Oh, cause you have some glue and glitter on your fingers. Would you like to take a break and go wash your hands before you continue? How can I help this child right now? Right. Mm -hmm. The same teacher, when they were waiting for lunch and the kids were getting restless and it was getting rowdy, she called it out. She's like, you guys are getting impatient. Lunch is late today. How can we help ourselves? Let's do a finger play song so that we are waiting is not boring. So children need grownups to co-regulate in a natural setting throughout the day so that they start recognizing what I'm feeling is not off kilter. There's nothing, something wrong with me. I'm not a crazy child. This is normal. There's a name to it. Um, I believe so strongly with, if you can mention it, you can manage it. But if you can't mention it, then you still feel it. I still feel the whatever it is. It's still bubbling out, but I don't have a name for it. So there must be something wrong with me.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bern, I think you touched on some things that are so important. Naming emotions and then not name-calling children, like, oh, you are bad, or oh, you are so naughty. Um, and this is oh, one thing I can that can I stand think that word. Yeah, I think there is um hit a trigger word. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. Um, and I think in previous generations, at least in my experience, that has been like, oh, you tell them what they're doing by and that is defining. like what they do defines who they are. And I think in recent years, research has shown that that's a horrible thing to do. Um, so I think at least in my parenting, in my interactions with children, I say, wow, it seems that you're being a little impatient or it seems that you um, may feel like this or like that. Uh, really separating the experience that is happening right now from the children's identity. And that's really tough to do in, in a group. I mean, if you're you're in a classroom of super rowdy four-year-olds, I mean, I have a rowdy four-year-old and I sometimes <laughs> feel out of ratio. Um, <laughs> but if you're in a classroom with 10 four-year-olds or however many, it's very difficult to say, oh, to, to really stop, think. And say, okay, what could be triggering this emotion in them? And how do I co-regulate with them? And very human thing of us to do is to say, oh, well, Jimmy is being a a rowdy kid or he's being rough or he is rough because Mm -hmm. that is a consistent behavior that he has shown. But really, we haven't taken, as educators, haven't taken the time or haven't Mm -hmm. had the time to... Really understand the root of that emotion, and then co-regulate with them, like you mentioned.
0: I think there's such a difference between. Okay, so backstory: I was the kid, right? Like I talked all the time. I, I'm very social. Um, mm-hmm. like, but I was the little girl that got called, like, oh, she's so talkative, or she's too much. Oh, I was that You're,
2: too. Oh, yeah. I was that too. Every report card was, if Breanna could just stop talking. But look, yep. we were leaders in the making. Nice. Right. Right. You were leaders in the making. <laughs> that's why we're on a
1: podcast because we just bossy. couldn't stop talking.
2: There you go.
0: <laughs> you know, she's bossy. She's so all of these things were as a yeah. kid. That's what I thought I was. That was yeah. what my identity became because that was what the all the adults around me would say to me. And you know, like my parents. I'm going to take them out of that because, again, they were fantastic. But sometimes, like, what your parents say when you're, you know, eight don't always matter as much as what, like, the other adults in your life say. And there's such a difference between talking to a child and saying, oh, you're, I'm going to use, like, it's it's extreme, right? Like, you're bad and or
2: you're making a bad choice. There's... Because You they, know, I like, would uh, I would even go deeper with that, Sam. I've heard grown-ups say things like, I am so mad right now. You're making me so mad and so sad. I am yeah. so sad right now. I'm so mad right now. And I just feel like, please, you are the grown-up. You mm-hmm. deal with your emotions. The child yeah. didn't make you feel mad or sad, Yeah, okay. right? You are choosing. So there's a better way to frame that because we say to kids all the time, you're making me so mad right now. You're making me so sad right now. No, they didn't do that to you. I am feeling frustrated and irritated right now because you're not listening to me and I'm feeling ignored right now. That's the emotion you're feeling. It's not your, didn't make you mad or sad, you know, so we mix it all up and, um, you know, I think with with children and with grown-ups, with emotional brain, right, with emotional brain because there's three parts to the brain, right, there's a survival brain, that helps us to feel safe in life. That's that's the survival brain. That's the purpose of the survival brain to keep us safe. Whether I feel scared or I feel threatened or I feel insecure, or if it's imaginary or real, I go into my survival brain. But the emotional brain, and you can't see my hands pointing, but it's the middle of mm-hmm. your head, right? <laughs> emotional brain acts out. Emotional brain, so I really feel attention-seeking behavior is a relationship-seeking need. Mm-hmm. So when we understand and when we look at behaviors that is attention-seeking, attention-seeking is anything that you stop what you're doing and you give the child the attention, that's attention-seeking. Or you use sentences like, you know better. Why are you doing that? Share. Mm-hmm. Why are you hitting? Gentle hands. like they. Of course, they know better. But they're in their emotional brain, so they're acting on it. The emotional brain, most powerful if you're looking for tips, the sentence of instead of doing... so. Quite often, we use words like, I like the way so-and-so is sitting. I love the way you're listening. We use this terminology of I like and I love. But here's my problem with that. I think that is conditional love. Mm -hmm. I only like and love you when you listen to me and follow my instructions. Oh. Oh, You don't like and love me when I don't listen to you. So then you ignore me and you take it out on me. So a better way, so if you're talking about changing vocabulary and mindsets, a better way of doing this is, I noticed you came to the carpet when I called you. I noticed that you went to brush your teeth when I said it once. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. So instead of going, I like and I love, change it to I notice, I see, I hear, I understand. Mm. Those will meet the emotional na- brain before they're acting out. So if they're acting out. Instead of focusing on what you're trying to redirect and correct, focus on connecting with them.
1: Yeah.
2: That's and an amazing Ber- tip.
1: Berna. that is, yeah, agreeing with Sam, I think that is an amazing tip. But going back to the idea of name, like naming children, my son Ross is he's a very intelligent boy. He's very advanced in math, uh, which is pretty miraculous for my background. But How old is he, Ross? Ross is 6. Um and he's doing second third grade math doing a lot of like multiplication things very very I'm very happy with his progress. But one thing that I noticed that was detrimental was I would say Ross you are so smart. I would tell my friends my son uh-huh. Ross is so smart and he does this this and this. Uh-huh. And which I thought that was a really great thing as a parent to be praising him. Yeah. But it's kind of like what you're saying. I, if he made a mistake, then yeah. his identity would be he's not smart. Yeah. And he felt that my, he may feel that my love is contingent upon him being smart, which means him making correct uh, yeah. calculations of simple math problems. Yeah. So being able to say, like really come from an observer and say, I see that you did this and That makes me happy when whatever. Um, Yeah, you're
2: bringing up something really important as well with growth mindset and fixed mindset. There's so much research that has been done when we use words like you're so smart, you're so brilliant, you're so awesome, you're a rock star, bloody, bloody, blah. blah. What it does is it puts a different type of pressure on children that makes them feel like, okay, I'm at this level. I better not try something new because I might come down from my pedestal. Mm -hmm. So they won't take risks. And they won't push themselves because they have a status to maintain. A helpful sentence, instead of saying all these accolades of who they are, focus on the work that they're doing. So focus on the effort, not the end product. I noticed you spent 30 minutes and you were really concentrated. So now I'm focusing on a quality and I'm not judging it. Um, I'm happy, sad, like it, love it, rock star, brilliant, Mm brilliant. I'm not focusing on the accolade. I'm focusing on what the child did that they have control to doing it again and again and again. So you were concentrating is why you got the results. You were you were very focused, um, and you know I, I I appreciate that you were giving this the attention, not even love and like, but I I noticed that you did that. I I see that you worked hard at it. How does that make you feel? Um um, our granddaughter is brilliant artist and so she's constantly in our face do you like it do you like it do you like it what do you think about it what do you think about it right so we're raising a junkies generation of of praise junkies right does they're mm-hmm. dependent on the praise which is outward motivation and I have to keep turning it back but do you like it but mm. she's like she just wants me to pin down like what do you think about it so I'll start noticing you use a lot of colors you've given a lot of detail I see that you spend a lot of time but I mean do you like it but do you like it? She does not want to let me go. So I've learned how to handle this. Like it now with very like kid gloves. Like um, I, what I love about this is the, the joy that it brings out from like, I still want to take it back to the core because I don't Mm -hmm. want it to be about like and love.
0: You know, I'm trying to think of when I was in a classroom and the, the things that, cause it can be tough. Like Justin had said earlier, when you have, you know, the classroom that i was in i had 14 there were two of us which was fantastic but um you know 14 four and five year olds they 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 want to know what you think they want your opinion on everything that they do um and you're still trying to kind of maintain you know semblance of management in <laughs> in the classroom and just like oh i you know i love that you used you know this color, because I know it's your favorite color. Like now I'm thinking about all of those interactions and how, you know, I could have put a different perspective or a different spin on them that brought it back to well, what do what do you like about it? But But tell me We do better when
2: we know better, Sam. Right. -hmm. Well we do better when we know better.
0: (laughs) I was just saying that one of the reasons I love this podcast is because it's a like I I'm still here learning and that's one of the things that I love about it is I really believe we're never done learning and so this is just like I said this is coffee chats for Sam that we're broadcasting to everyone else
2: (laughs) no same I feel the same way I haven't arrived yet there's so much to learn and I'm definitely Mm -hmm. a different grandmother than I was a mother Uh, and definitely when I was growing up I grew up in India we didn't talk about emotions and families I'm closer to 60 now. I wasn't raised in that generation. We didn't talk about it. It was dismissed, whatever. But you know, you do better when you know better yeah. and you begin where you are and there's there's no judgment. and And the parenting and educating is the most rewarding, most demanding, the hardest job you'll do to influence the next generation of kids. And you begin where you are and the kids that you have is the kids that you were meant to have and they make you the parent that you become or the educator that you become. That child who comes into your classroom, that gets under your skin, look at that child in the sense of saying, you're here to teach me something. What am I going to learn from you? That's it, right? That's it. I mean, little humans, big humans, it's just a journey. We're on a path to the the journey.
0: The students that I had that at times felt like it was the hardest to build those relationships or to maintain or where I was frustrated and had to really like learn through that process they are now the ones that I look back on with like the most fondness because I feel like we kind of grew up together (laughs) like you know we learned from each other and um, there's a special a special kind of bond in that where you know you look back and you go yeah you bring up something
2: something really important Sam the ones that you connected with or bonded with um, I have a phrase that I like to really feel like is grounding all of our work. The more you connect, the less you correct. Mm-hmm. If you focus on the connection, the correction becomes less. Mm-hmm. But we're very focused on correcting. Don't do this, do this, come sit down, brush your teeth, talk less, don't talk, sit down, turn around, eat the blah, 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 blah. Like 100,000 instructions that you are constantly focusing on correcting them. Mm-hmm. But I think if our focus is connecting, before correcting, I think it focuses on the relationship. Yeah, And at, sure. at the end of the day, it all comes down to relationships and connections. Nobody cares what you know, but did you connect with me? Did you see me? Did you hear me? Yeah. Even the infant, we didn't even talk about infants and toddlers, mm-hmm. and I know we're out of time, but even starting from the time they're born, humans are hardwired to connect. mm mm-hmm. And that's really at the core of parenting or educating, yeah. connecting with that little human or that grown up human.
0: We all just made our New Year's resolutions here at Bertelson Education, probably just like you. And one of my favorite our team has here is to play a more active role in the state communities where we offer our training. To do that, we are hosting a series of live webinars every Thursday now through July where we will gather as a community and talk about all things ECE in one particular state. These are a great opportunity to learn about training, grants, and other big ECE news in your state, and you can find the entire schedule of live events at the link in the show notes or get more information by visiting bertelsoneducationcom statelives. February is coming up fast, and in February, you can expect to hear about Maryland, Pennsylvania, Ohio, New Jersey, and New York. So don't wait to go to com slash state lives and find out when we're featuring your state. I can't wait to see you there.
1: I'd like to tell you a story. Ross and I were recently reading the book Matilda. Oh, I uh, love that. I love yeah, so. Of classic. My my mother in law really loves the Matilda books, all the, or not Matilda, excuse me, the Raw Doll books. We read yes. Charlie the oh, We love years. them.
2: Yes. Yes. Um,
1: and later on, as we're kind of reading, because it's a, it's a chapter book. So we read over a period of days. And Ross and I got into an argument where he disagreed with something. And he said, he looked at me and he said, Dad, you're not brilliant. Um, because Matilda is her teacher continues to really reinforce that she's brilliant. And she's like super excited about it. And she visits the warm woods and is like, why are you people not recognizing the the uh, absolute talent and just incredible nature of your daughter? And after I dried my tears to to kind of respond to my son (laughs) just kidding um but it did hurt my feelings um but i recognized that the environment that he was seeing in literature he was bringing it into his own experience i love it so when we see i think that's a, a very instructive book to say this is a family situation that we don't have in our family or this is a good example of why we don't, or like, of somebody who is dishonest at work, and her dad, yeah. um, but using literature to be able to explain these emotions is really, really key. And from that experience, I had to take it back, and I said, okay, well, brilliant isn't who I am. It is I some. I try to to use the the intellectual power in my brain to make correct decisions and do different things, but my identity isn't necessarily this, but when we're talking about children's literature, Bernard, which you love so much, is it's important to choose books that you can teach social emotional learning principles off of. It's important to choose Mm -hmm. dramatic play activities that you can teach from things, you know, it's important for also for unstructured play. Um, But when you want to be intentional, you can use the different resources or different activities that can be intentional. For example, if you're making Valentine's Day cards in your classroom, you can make Valentine's Day cards for a nursing home mm-hmm. next door to your child care center mm-hmm. and making it be be really really mindful with the activities that you have to teach those social emotional learning principles. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think that's just really really key. So yes. for all of our listeners, I have Totally healed from the incident with my son. You do not need to send me any cards (laughs) or get well soon letters, but um, it took a long time, but I think I'm going to make it.
0: So we've talked a lot about like what environments look like, but can we talk a little bit printer really quick about how environments supportive or otherwise affect that development in the first five years?
2: Yeah, so creating authentic relationships, nurturing relationships for the birth to five is critical because 90% of the brain development is happening in those years. And that's laying the foundation for that human to have life skills for the rest of their life. So environments, you know, to me, environments are outside stuff, but relationships and connection is where the human connection happens. So whatever things and products you have, I don't care about them, show up, be present, be responsive, respond and listen to children starting from infancy, because that's how they're learning the give and take. That's how they're learning empathy. I don't know if you know this or not, but empathy is one of those emotions that it has to be role modeled. Otherwise, it doesn't become part of our character. So if you think about that, birth to five, 90% of the brain development is happening. And if empathy is not role modeled, it won't become part of my character. It's a missed opportunity. And, and a simple way to do empathy in action is, you know, when a child falls down, the grown up has a choice to make. You're okay. You're okay. Get up. You're okay. You're okay. That is not empathy. The opposite of that is, are you okay? The same three words, you are okay versus are you okay? Mm. It just is a slight switch, but are you okay sounds with the care and concern and you're okay sounds like you know how I'm feeling and I'm not okay. Mm -hmm. So I think if we are talking about laying a foundation for the rest of their life, bring some of these qualities in life. And I know we're running out of time, maybe we'll just have to do it again, a part two. (laughs) (laughs) I think that'd be great. (laughs) Yeah, we can do a part two, because we didn't touch on so much. But I don't know, this was the most authentic, natural flow that happened in the time that it happened
0: yeah it was fantastic and thank you so much for your time today and for joining us it, it really thank you. was so fun thank you to so talk much
2: you. i feel terrible that i'm running thank you so much yep. i Thanks appreciate so much, you both
0: one incredible journey exploring the first five years of life and their profound impact on our little ones a massive shout out to our amazing guest perna richards for sharing her wealth of knowledge and her passion with us today we've learned that those early experiences are like the foundations for a skyscraper, shaping a child's cognitive, social, and emotional development for their entire lives. It is truly fascinating how the seeds we plant during these years can blossom into beautiful lifelong learning. We talked about self-regulation and the importance of giving our students the skills to self-regulate, like vocabulary of feelings. We talked about the three parts of self-regulation and how important it is for us as educators to be in a place where we are able to co-regulate with our students. We discussed trauma and its impact on behaviors as well as what Prana called canary children and how understanding our students as individuals can help us connect more and correct less. I encourage you to take those practical strategies Perna shared and run with them. Let's create environments that are not just supportive, but that are downright empowering for our little ones. I would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode and how you plan to use the tips that Prairina shared in your own programs or your own classrooms. You can connect with us on social media or write a review. And in that review, tell me how you're going to use those strategies. And I'd love to read them on an episode coming up and share them with our audience. And remember, this is just the beginning. Stay tuned for more episodes where we unravel the magic and mysteries of early childhood education with incredible professionals in this industry and beyond. I cannot thank you enough for being a part of Out of Ratio and for joining us in our first episode of season two. You guys, I am so excited for everything that we have coming your way this season. We just have the best people. are coming to share with you, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Your curiosity and commitment to learning make this community a wonderful place to be. Keep shining, keep thriving, and keep nurturing the bright minds of tomorrow. I'll see you next time.